it's definitely a, a tough time for everyone, but I think everyone seems to be adapting quite quite well and you know it's just it is what it is and I think everyone needs to learn to to live with where we are at the moment we can't just dwell and say I hate this I'm not gonna try or you just got to keep pushing forward this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep the hospitality industry is known for a workforce with the ability to adapt and evolve at the drop of a hat. Many operators, no matter how well a restaurant model is traveling, give their establishment a makeover every couple of years to keep on top of the game or ahead of the pack. For some, the pandemic halted plans for 2020 and put them in doubt ongoing. Adam Wolfers is the executive chef of Gerard's Bistro and Gerard's Bar in Brisbane. Adam, you're about to give Gerard's Bar a complete makeover with a new menu, um, but a little pandemic happened. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was uh, sort of really interesting timing, wasn't it, the whole uh, pandemic? So we basically um, were about to relaunch our Gerard's Bar, whole new menu. We are going to sort of do small things in the fit out and uh, hired new staff for it and about two days before we had to pull the plug so it was pretty uh, devastating all the work we'd sort of been putting into it and then have to put it on hold for now so yeah it's pretty brutal. What's this period of time been like you've uh, you run two venues and you have sort of forced her into a takeaway model and Queensland's actually done quite well um, compared to New South Wales and Victoria in regards to cases. Um, what, what's, the, what's it been like in this period trading as, as a restaurant? Yeah, I mean, we've been quite um, fortunate um, up here in Queensland. It's sort of, you know, for now it hasn't really hit us quite as badly as Victoria and New South Wales, especially Victoria. So we've been quite lucky in that sort of sense because um, obviously we are a slightly smaller population and, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, up here it's, a little bit warmer as well, which probably helps too. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we sort of um, have been quite lucky. Well, there was a time there that was quite, um, you know, for everyone in Australia where the, the sort of unknown happened and we, you know, no one knew what was happening and what was going to happen. So at the time it was pretty scary, um, even up here, even though it didn't really hit us as, as hard as New South Wales and Victoria. But I think... Um, yeah, luckily, you know, it's been quite fortunate for us to sort of come on this side of it at the moment. So, yeah, that's sort of... You, you switched to a takeaway model pretty quickly. Was it was it hard to adapt your menu uh, to cater for that sort of market that was so different to dining in the restaurant? Yeah, I mean, the when it, when it first... The first couple of weeks of when, you know, it wasn't an official lockdown yet, it was kind of... No one sort of knew what was going on, and you know, a lot of um, a lot of our guests that would eat in the restaurant, you know, they were starting to cancel their bookings that had booked, you know, uh, weeks in advance, and we sort of saw a massive drop off. And that was the time where I sort of was like, "Is this actually happening? Is this real? You know, what what what's next? Like, what are we going to do?" And it was kind of that 
that limbo where none of us, you know, no one in Australia knew what was what was happening. And, you know, we sort of, as soon as the government sort of said, you know what, it's a shutdown, you know, everyone stay at home. Um, that was sort of when I think in the hospitality industry, we sort of, we knew where we would stand so we could adapt more so then than it's sort of being this like, well, some people will eat out, some people won't. It was just like, well, if, if everyone can't eat out, then you sort of know where you stand and then you can adapt and then move from there. So I think that was a real sort of, you know, it was, it was definitely very scary for me as well. Like I sort of, me, myself, I sort of have a, I'm immuno, immunosuppressed. So I was sort of freaking out like, oh, what if I get it and I don't know what's going to happen and I've got kids and all that sort of thing. And it's, it sort of was a really scary time, but it's sort of, I think as, as us, you know, chefs and front of house, everyone that's in the hospitality industry, you know, um, this is where we sort of thrive as well and come together and can, you know, evolve and be creative. And that's who we are. We're creative people and the whole, takeaway thing was just another adaption that we need to move forward and continue to you know change and that sort of thing so it was it was just a it was a really interesting time it was pretty as you know you've spoken to many other people in the industry and you know it was it was one of those things where you just have to you just have to push and think and constantly evolve and that was you know something that we sort of were fortunate enough that we could do that um, as a as a sort of restaurant. So, yeah, it was definitely my my boss at the time said to us, you know, don't like, don't stress about it. Let's just shut down, and we'll just sort of regroup and work out what we're going to do. And I, me and the general manager Judith, we sort of, you know, we were like, no, nah, I'm not going to. We're not going to give up yet. We've got to let's just like brainstorm and think of what we can do, what people will be able, because, you know, if everyone's locked down, I mean, people still need to eat. People aren't going to, you know, not everyone wants to go and go to the supermarket and cook at home. There's (laughs) a lot of people that don't want to cook. So um, that was, you know, our sort of thought process behind um, how we adapted and how we changed uh, through takeaway. Yeah. What's some of the dishes that you created that you wouldn't necessarily do in the restaurant? Well, I guess, um, you know, because we're Middle Eastern, because it's sort of like a progressive Middle Eastern restaurant, um, like slow-cooked meats is such a big um, part of, you know, Middle Eastern food um, in, in the sense that like, you know, for takeaway, that's a perfect, you know, way of eating is it, it can travel you know, it's homely, it's delicious, it's it's got full of flavour when you slow cook a piece of brisket or whether it be a lamb shoulder or that sort of thing. So it was it was quite easy. It was a little bit easier for us to sort of adapt to that because we we were already doing that sort of food. And you know, you have breads and you have your dips, you have salads, roasted vegetables. So that sort of um, dining in the restaurant was actually quite easy to. Um, move into a takeaway form um, so that that side of things I wasn't too worried about it was more how can we do it with our minimal staff at the time because we weren't sure you know 
how busy we were going to be. So we had to obviously cut a, th- a lot of our staff, especially our front of house, and you know just brainstorming, working ideas how we can get our staff back and still stay relevant and and keep pushing forward. That was the main sort of worry for us. So, you know, things like having takeaway alcohol, you know, once those laws came in, then, oh, cool, we can hire someone back that can do all the drinks and, you know, we're going to deliver all our own food so then we can get a couple of front of house that can deliver the food and then they're the delivery drivers. So we were just sort of – it just sort of evolved as we went and um, sort of really took off after probably – three or four weeks when, you know, the word sort of got out. So the whole um, sort of the, yeah, the whole basis of what we did was we did a set menu every single, so five nights a week and it changes every single night and never repeats. So that was another thing that I sort of implemented (laughs) to to make it hard for myself. (laughs) And and for the team. Yeah, Yeah, because we were kind of, I was kind of like, well, when we first were talking about it, me and um, myself and Judith, um, we sort of wrote a menu and we were just going to do our a la carte menu, but it was going to be in a takeaway form, which, you know, you had 15 dishes and people would just order them as, the, as they went. And it was a Monday night just before we were going to, like, do all the marketing for it. We'd spoken to our marketing team to sort of organise all the, fly, you know, whether flyers or just, like, online stuff and speak to the media and just before they sent it, I sort of, I just freaked, sort of freaked out of my head, and I was like, "It's not going to work. It's not going to work." And then I was like, "What if we just do a set menu? You do a bread, a main course, three sides, and then a little dessert, and then we charge forty bucks a head, and then we just get people fed. We're not doing it to make money. We're just doing it to keep everyone employed and just keep it, you know, just keep us alive." and Judith was like, that's, yeah, I think that's where we should go because it's like a unique sort of thing that we can do and it gives us, you know, we can hire more staff and it, it's changing constantly and it gives us room to always do special dinners or what whatever it might be and it's sort of, yeah, it was just a really um, like just a positive way of moving forward and it sort of – it just kept us moving forward now rather than sort of looking at the past and then, you know, we just sort of progressed from that and it gave us an opportunity to constantly come up with new dishes or new ideas because it's changing every single day, every single week. So and we're still actually doing that now as a dine-in concept as well. So it's sort of continued on from that. So I think um, it's been a really positive um, idea from – you know, just doing something so simple is just simplifying it, but at the same time making it interesting and changing constantly. So that was sort of uh, how we are now. <laughs> yeah. During the series, many operators have spoken about once they reopened the restaurant, how much takeaway dropped away and they even stopped takeaway because it dropped away so much. But I understand you're still doing takeaway. Is that something that you think will be part of the model moving forward for Gerard's? Yeah, I mean that was that was the sort of thing. Like uh, my the owner of Gerard, one of the owners, um, Johnny. He was he's like very much um, adamant that we keep doing takeaway, which I agree with, um, and sort of 
because we just don't know if it's going to come back, you know, and the, the virus that is. And we don't know if, um, you know, if we're going to get shut down in a month's time. We just, we just don't know. So if we've still got that running as, a, as an option, um, it's, it's there. And we have like that following that we gathered from the takeaway, before, you know, while we were all locked down. And there's still people that order every night, every couple of nights of the week. So we were sort of like, well, let's just, you know, we'll just keep doing it. So we only do takeaway between five and six o'clock. Um, and then we shut that off. We do a, a set number every night. And then we basically have our dine-in um, come through and there's no takeaway to be seen sort of as soon as the people come into the restaurant. So um, it's kind of a really interesting model but it, it kind of it kind of works it makes it a little bit um a little bit more work for the kitchen but you know it's all for everyone in that in that manner uh, but it, it's uh, it's good to do it because it just in case it it does come back it you know we're still running it and everyone's on board and knows what we have to do um it, but i think in the future it will be something that we'll continue to do but we might do it uh, externally, say at the bar or something, like we'll keep keep it going through that. Uh, but currently, yeah, just we're sort of, you know, we probably only do we're doing half the amount of takeaway that we were doing, or even less. But it's it's still that little bit of revenue or um, keeping those people that don't want to leave their house because we do a lot of the people that do order it, they don't have time to go out and eat and they want to stay home or they're still sort of, you know, they might be immune, um, immunosuppressed as well and they, they don't want to risk going out. So there's still those people out there that still want that takeaway option of something healthy and, you know, something that's not fast food, you know. Um, so that's, that's something that we kept doing, yeah, for sure. You mentioned earlier that the food that you're doing there is a sort of modern – uh, interpretation of Middle Eastern cuisine, but you made a name for yourself at a vegetarian restaurant called Yellow, and also really pushed the envelope with Jewish food with uh, um, pop-ups like Etelek. Um, can you tell us a bit about how you got into the industry? Yeah, um, basically, I started off as a um, sort of young uh, school kid that worked at a local Chinese restaurant when I was about. 14 years old and I was cooking fried rice and spring rolls just as a part-time job while I was at school and I sort of started off like that and did my did hospitality at school so I'd always sort of had that food background um, once I'd left school but I actually didn't go straight into chefing um, straight after school I, I was studying music believe it or not um, and I was uh, studying that for about two and a half years and wow. um, played in lots of different bands and rock bands and things like that. <laughs> so I sort of I sort of lived a different life uh, when I was, you know, 18 to 21 sort of, um, you know, my goals were I want to, you know, be a rock star. That was sort of my goals <laughs> back then. <laughs> and then that sort of dwindled pretty quick and that, uh, yeah, and then I realised how hard it was to uh, – Live a ha- live a pretty happy life as a as a musician and sort of yeah it was it was definitely one of those things where I was like oh do I keep doing this or 
you know, what am I going? Am I going to get a job out of this? Because you know, there's only so many jobs available, sort of in that industry, unless you really sort of get it. You know, if you're really, really good, <laughs> or get lucky, it, I found it really hard to sort of have a stable job. So from then, I travelled overseas and then sort of got the rekindling of the chefing world again and started my apprenticeship when I was about 21 and from there I just sort of you know just love yeah fell in love with food again and you know worked my way through many different kitchens in Sydney I got the opportunity to work with Peter Doyle and Mark Best and got to travel overseas and work in some you know three two three-star restaurants overseas and yeah I just it was just one of those things where you know, I just, I always had a love for food, but I didn't realize it until, you know, I got a little bit older. So it, um, yeah, from, from here on, yeah, I just still, still have a real passion for it. And, um, fortunately I've worked for some amazing chefs and people throughout my time and sort of got me where I am now. So yeah, very fortunate to have been able to do what I've done, you know, it's been a while now. It's like 13, 14 years, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been great. After the break, Adam tells us about Jewish cuisine and the inspiration behind his modern interpretation of it. My grandmother was one of the, still is one of the best cooks I've ever, you know, all the food that she's ever cooked, that I've ever tasted. Um, and I sort of fell in love with that, those flavours. You know, I just have these memories of it. I was cutting off the hocks and I was just like, these are stunning. The marbling and the texture and the colour was just, you know, it gets you excited to use and cook with those products because it looks so good. The Crackling is the latest podcast from Deep in the Weeds, where we take you behind the scenes into the kitchens of Australia's best chefs. If you do the kind of double cook with the spiking, it's crunchy, but like a honeycomb almost, like a, like, like glass. Yeah. <laughs> and onto the farms of our nation's best producers. Somebody came along and said, well, there's this opportunity back in Victoria and it was pig farming. That's sort of how we got into it and it's been fantastic. The stories, the passion, the produce. It was a real life-changing moment for me to, to see, you know, the respect of an animal that is so deep and such a part of a culture. The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. Listen and subscribe to The Crackling Now on your favourite podcast app. Tell us a bit about Jewish cuisine and some of your favourite dishes that you like to cook as Etelek, the pop-up um, that you've done in a few different forms is close to your heart and a real celebration of that. Mm, yeah, uh, I guess like as a as a child growing up, um, you, you know, you as a practising Jewish boy, um, you sort of do your bar mitzvah and then you, you have all the, they're called like high holidays where you have, you do things with your family. It was very family orientated sort of, um, religion where, well, most religions are, but like, especially like as me as a child, my grandparents were very, they were quite strict, um, Jewish, that is strict Jewish background. And my parents were a little bit more reform, but we still practiced quite, um, regularly and I basically my grandmother was one of the still is one of the best cooks I've ever you know all the food that she's ever cooked that I've ever tasted 
Um, and I sort of fell in love with that, those flavors, you know, I just have these memories of it at the time you sort of take it for granted. Cause you're like, it, it was kind of like a chore because <laughs> you had to eat, yeah, eat your filter fish. If anyone knows what that is, it's basically a boiled uh, fish dumpling. Um, and then back then, you know, you can imagine as a kid turning your nose up to that. Um, and then now I sort of have a real appreciation for it because I know how much love goes into that fish ball. <laughs> um, and yeah, just like the matzo ball soup and all those like real traditional um Jewish dishes that I ate as a kid, um, I sort of, you know, as I grew up and had worked in the, in the industry, I, I only really sort of really appreciated it, you know, probably five years ago um, till I really sort of realised, oh, this is actually, you know, really cool. Like not, there's not a lot of people that get to experience this kind of food and um, it was, yeah, I sort of really um, did a lot of research and just, spoke to my parents a lot about because both my grandparents have passed but like I, I sort of really wanted to find out more I went through all of her, my grandmother's old cookbooks and just you know just read up heaps of stuff about it and it was just like oh there's just this whole other um sort of side of my cooking that I sort of didn't take for granted and di didn't didn't pursue because I was just focused on modern cooking and you know what's what's hot right now that like when you sort of look back to your roots which is what everyone always seems you know everyone does you know doesn't matter where you're from you always sort of look back from your memories and you trigger your memories to how you can cook now and I sort of used all my knowledge that I knew from cooking with you know in fine dining and then I was kind of like well what's why can't you use those ideas and then use the classics and and that was kind of what Adelec was about uh, it was really um triggered memories of what I ate as a kid and what I remember my what my grandparents used to cook uh, especially my grandmother and how my grandfather used to eat because his appreciation of my grandmother's cooking was like you know I've never seen anyone just like love the love for food for, from my grandfather to my grandmother's cooking it was just kind of, it's just one of those memories that I have I just yeah there was like a this one dish that we did at um at one of the pop-ups in uh, Barb Rose and uh it was my grandmother used to cook this dish called meat and zaft and zaft means just basically like juices in um Yiddish so it's basically meat in its own juices so it has like mushrooms and veal and it's like this slow cooked meal and then you have your your challah which is the the bread that you have over uh sabbath the friday night and i just remember my grandfather the next day he used to um grab the leftover bone from the the meat and he'd like scrape all the bone marrow out and he'd get his challah from the night before and he'd like smear it over his hollow and like dip it in the sauce and I was like I'm sure we could try and like do a dish like that so we did I did a dish sort of based on that and I called it meat and zaft and it was like this roasted bone marrow with some like roasted color and then I made this mushroom sort of dipping sauce and it was kind wow. of like yeah like that that kind of memory is really cool because you that was just something I just remembered and he always did it and then I was like that's just such a like 
genius thing to do, <laughs> like to eat <laughs> the leftover bone from the from the night before and make yourself an open sandwich. Yeah, so like stuff like that was kind of um, yeah. A lot of the dishes sort of came from what my grandfather used to like make these cool little dishes for himself, like the like the the langosh. Like he'd use the langosh, which is like a fried. You've, I think you've had it when you came there. It was basically like a deep fried bread. And um, he used to just have his leftover cream cheese and he'd just like dip his soggy um, like langosh in a cream cheese dip. And that was kind of where the, the, the langosh memory for me was, was like oh, usually they sort of grate it with cheese and smear it with garlic. But he sort of just made himself like a, a thing the next day and that was kind of like the – the other thing that I used. So, yeah, those those sorts of, like, trigger memories were what Edelec kind of came from, like just the um, – obviously, like, a little bit more of a modern take, but they were all, you know, just things that I ate as a kid or what I saw my grandfather eat as a kid, yeah, as he, as he was um, eating. So all those sort of things, that was kind of what Edelec was about. And, yeah. Well, Gerard's Bistro, it's a, an award-winning restaurant and, you know, Ben Williamson was on the pans there and he's an incredible chef. And what led you to move to Brisbane and um, take over there in the kitchen? Was it, was there a lot of pressure given the success of the restaurant previously? Oh, definitely. Um, I think uh, when, when I first uh, sort of got this message randomly on Instagram from a this random person just messaged me and said, would you like to come and meet for a coffee? I've got maybe something in Brisbane. And I sort of dismissed it at the time. And um, myself and Mark, who was the um, sort of other guy from, he was the front of house guy from Etelec. And we were on the, on the hunt for a, a venue in Sydney at the time. And we were really close on this venue in, um, in Redfern. And it was like, we were just about to get it and then it just got canned sort of on that day. And I sort of read back on that message and I'm like, oh, all right, I'll just, I'll just reply back to this guy. It was, you know, it was even in my like junk message of the Instagram sort of thing and I didn't even know who the guy was. And I just messaged him back. I said, all right, let's just catch up for a coffee. I'm not really interested in moving to Brisbane, but, you know, I'll, I'll meet up with you. I'll just see what you have to say and – and the guy just sort of said, oh, they're looking for a chef at Gerard's. And I knew Ben previously. I'd met him a couple of times and sort of spoke with him. And I knew of Gerard's um, that it was sort of that progressive uh, Middle Eastern style restaurant. And I was sort of thinking, I was like, well, if there was a fit that I could imagine me trying to, you know, do the food that I want to do, I think that would kind of work. Um, and then I met up with Johnny, who's the owner. He came down to Sydney and then we met up and we just got on like a house on fire and he just sort of, you know, like brought me up here and I checked out Brisbane. I was like, man, this place is awesome. And, you know, cooked them some food. And then from there I was like, said to my wife, I was like, we're moving to, how would you feel if we moved to Brisbane? (laughs) And she, without, without, Two, two and a half year old and she was like Brisbane really and she was not a massive uh, fan of Brisbane before 
we moved up here, but as soon as we've moved up here, we're like, when I don't think we'll go back to Sydney because we love it up here so much and just uh, the people up here are really lovely people and everyone's nice, there's no traffic and <laughs> it's hot, it's nice and warm. Like at the moment it's, yeah, it's 20, at the moment it's a little bit cold, but, you know, tomorrow is going to be 23 degrees and it's the middle of winter. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't actually – I've been wearing shorts every day this winter, so I don't think um, – <laughs> I can't really complain um, about Brisbane weather at all. So, yeah, so that uh, – yeah, just from that sort of – it was one of those split decisions where, um, you know, I wanted – Mark and myself, we wanted Adelaide to work. You know, we wanted to try do it as a as a standalone restaurant. But I think we both realised that, you know, maybe it is sort of one of those things that's more of a pop up style restaurant. You know, do we want to put all our money on the line for something which we weren't a hundred percent on that it would work in Sydney? Like, especially, I mean, looking at it now, I think. It was, you know, it was a very smart decision and, um, like, me and Mark, we still get along really well uh, and who's to say, you know, in 10 years' time we don't go back and start her up again but I think, um, yeah, at the moment we just sort of needed to, you know, we'd worked together for probably seven years or so so it was good to sort of us to do our own thing for a while. And, um, yeah, but now that I've sort of moved up here and I've sort of honed my um, direction of food um, quite where I want it to be, um, especially, and where Gerard's is at the moment, it's it's sort of right where I'm really comfortable and happy. So I think, um, yeah, it was a sort of really strange, strange sort of thing that happened, but it just, yeah, it just sort of worked and yeah, really happy about how it all ended up. Yeah. How are you feeling at the moment, you know, given the lockdown in Melbourne and there's random border closures everywhere across the country and and also with your your own personal situation um, that you, you, you mentioned being immunosuppressed? Um, what's the general feeling for you at the moment with moving forward? Yeah, I'm, I mean, the whole thing in Victoria is just, you know, I'm, I'm devastated for, like I have a, you know, a lot of friends that have restaurants in Victoria. Um, I have a lot of friends that are down there. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those things where they they unfortunately got, got the rough end of the stick out of everyone. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where um, there's not much we can do about it. We, we're, you know, I keep messaging them and just say if I can help you in any way and, um, you know, but a, a lot of the, like I was saying, like a lot of the hospitality industry, like we're very resilient people. We, we don't ever give up on anything and we always are like there for change and progressing. And the the amazing thing is, is like all those guys that have been through two lockdowns now and they're still going, they're still pushing that, you know, there's, that, that, it's really amazing to see that they're, yeah, they haven't, they haven't given up yet. And I think that's, you know, that's just something that I think the hospitality industry is just so great, like coming together like that. Um, yeah, and I think the fact that up here we're quite lucky, um, like I said before, you know, we've sort of, because we are quite far away, 
and um, you know it is quite spread out. Our state, we're not. It's it's we've sort of got lucky in the sense that we haven't um, had a second lockdown for now. I keep saying for now because I hope it doesn't happen. Um, and yeah, I guess for and a lot of the guys in New South Wales as well. I've noticed that you know they're they're sort of doing it tough as well. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I think um, for me, I'm I'm quite fortunate that we are in Queensland. So yeah, I think yeah, I'm I'm definitely relieved that I'm in Queensland at the moment, not in New South Wales, Victoria. But I definitely feel for all my friends and family that are down there. I haven't seen my parents for probably like six or seven months because they're in Sydney, and they sort of couldn't come up when they 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 weren't sure if they were going to come up and now I don't even know when the border is going to open again. So yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a tough time for everyone, but I think everyone seems to be adapting quite, quite well. And, you know, it's just, it is what it is. And I think everyone needs to learn to, to live with where we are at the moment. We can't just dwell and say, Oh, this is, you know, I hate, I hate this. I'm not going to try or, you know, it's just, you just got to keep pushing forward, uh, move, you know, move on with our lives and just adapt to what, how we have to live. Like it's just, that's what it is. Yeah. It is what it is. And we can't, yeah, that's sort of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. At the top of the show, we mentioned that Gerard's bar was meant to get a makeover and a relaunch and a new menu. Um, it's a very small space. What's your thoughts about bars moving forward given the circumstances and, and is that makeover still on the cards? Yeah, I mean, that's – yeah, it's definitely bars at the moment. I think they're really um, finding it tough because, you know, you've got to have that metre and a half rule. You can't have people queuing up at the bar. They need to sit down on a table and, you know, those laws are still up here like that. So – it, I think in saying that I have been thinking about it a lot is it just means that the food, you need to have sort of like a food offering now as a bar that's, you know, something a bit more substantial to what you used to because you need to, everyone needs to be seated and, you know, you want people to stay there for a, a period of time and they need to spend money not just on drinks just on food as well. So I think it will, yeah, we're, we're sort of still in discussion of when we're going to do it just because we weren't sure about the second wave up here. And now um, I think we're sort of thinking about um, going back to the original plan. Uh, we will obviously have to sort of slightly redesign the inside to somehow fit people in without it being, because it is quite a long, narrow bar but we do have an outdoor area which is quite good um which will be be able to be used in like a lot better um but yeah i guess for for us we can because we can give that food offering um i think we'll be okay with it um and that that will be really vital in our, our sort of next um sort of phase of the bar is just make it a food offering as much as a drink offering. Yeah, that's the – because it was very much a more about drink than food. And now that we can 
it sort of gives us a, a good leverage to do that. Yeah. Well, mate, from um, budding rock star, you become sort of an unsung uh, rock star chef. And um, look, it's great to hear that you got bricks and mortar up there and really finding your voice with the food. Hopefully, um, moving forward, things remain positive up there and you can um, keep kicking goals. I uh, love chatting today, mate. Um, and thanks for sharing your story. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.